We are back. The State Fair over at Cal Expo is running through Labor Day, the 3rd of September. And this correspondent was quite stunned by one of the exhibits on display there. We had a chance to catch up a few days ago with meteorologist Alyssa Lynn, who's a spokesperson for the Science on a Sphere exhibit. This is something we thought we needed to tell you about. Alyssa Lynn, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thanks very much. You know, the California Exposition and State Fair kind of is harkening back to the what an exposition used to be years ago, to have something science and cutting edge. And it might not be Nikola Tesla, but it's, it's pretty cool science. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell our listeners it's cool indeed. You've got a six-foot, uh, almost six-foot diameter sphere, and you've got satellite imagery, which computers are able to project on with a very sophisticated system, and it's just, it's just it's breathtaking. Yeah, to stand there, it's, it's something you kind of have to see to get, because it's just a free-hanging globe. And some people think it's a hologram, and it's not, but it is unique and patented. You have to take the video and, and display it on a sphere, so it's like a spherical movie screen, which is, is kind of the first around. There's 15 of them around um, the globe, <laughs> around the world, but this is the traveling one, and it's the first time it's been in Sacramento, so it'll be here throughout the run of the fair. Yeah, I was stunned to realize you can actually order one of these things up. It's something that um, it is available, and, and I, I would hope that someone here in Sacramento would want to put one on permanent display. Yeah, it, it costs $42,000 just to ship. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the purchase price is, is a bit even higher than that, but it would be great to have permanently on display. You can see things like from an astronaut's perspective, whether you'd be looking at the Earth, the oceans, the atmospheres, uh, the, the land, other planets, and the sun. But to be able to see it in that three-dimensional way and literally walk around the thing, you know, it's pretty breathtaking. Yeah, it's just hard to explain to people how you just, from a video display or two-dimensional map, you just can't get the same effect of like, well, I wonder what's around the corner. Well, let's see. You sort of take, you take a stroll. Oh, and there's Indonesia. And you can watch, uh, for example, how, uh, how warm air in the tropics can be picked up by the jet stream and then impact on California. It, it's really unique. Yeah, there's satellite um, data being fed to it constantly over the Internet, so we can show, just like we showed Hurricane Dean last week, if anything comes up over the next week or so, um, we can show, you know, live, actual what's happening in the atmosphere now. And speaking of India, we also had the tsunami from December of 2004. We have lots of topics, sea surface temperatures, we have the ocean currents, plate tectonics is good, hurricanes. So just about uh, maybe 30 different kinds of data are going to be available that we'll be showing. And different speakers hit each of those topics on the hour throughout the fair, and then whatever's left in the balance of the hour will do, you know, whatever the crowd might be interested in. I have a presentation that I've done for kids on the solar system, so we go all the way through, all the way up through Pluto, which just hit its one-week anniversary of its demotion <laughs> from planet to dwarf planet. But I go through the whole solar system as well. So we have all kinds of things, you know, for people of all ages. I was quite impressed by the fact that uh, when you wanted to do that that great flood of, of January 1st, 2006, you guys can actually get the satellite data, go back a couple weeks before the storm hit, and you watch how the whole thing unfolds very, very graphically. Yeah, and, and I think people get an idea of what a weather forecaster kind of goes through, because we do look three to five days out to the west, and in California, it's a really tough forecast position you're in. I mean, if you, and I've worked there, if you live in the Midwest, you can see what came across Colorado and then Nebraska and then Iowa, and it's going to come to Illinois. But here on the West Coast, you know, there aren't a lot of sensors. There's not as much data. There's a lot of satellite material, but there's not as many uh, surface observations, obviously. You have a couple buoys. But when those storms come in, you know, you know from living here, obviously, a lot of them come and crash and burn. 
And this actually gives people an idea of what we face and what it looks like to look all the way across the Pacific, you know, all the way back to Japan and, and, and the tropics um, way on the other side of the Pacific and see this stuff coming. And what you see from the atmospheric rivers is how much moisture is in the atmosphere. It's colorized. Um, you can see where the continents are. I think it's a really great geography lesson. It's great weather lessons, and it's, it's pretty fascinating. And we can tip the globe down, too. So if you're smaller than the average height, <laughs> we can rotate it down. You can see it, too. <laughs> That's just another thing that's just so impressive about what computers and a projected system can do. It's really something. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the whole exhibit is about climate change. So the Department of Water Resources sponsored the whole exhibit, which is about climate change in general. And then Science on a Sphere is brought by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. So it's their sphere in the center. But we're all partnered together to talk about these topics. We have things about climate change in California, what the impacts will be as we go in toward the future, um, how much the temperature's increased already, which it is slight, and it's mostly at night, but it's a degree or two over the last century in California. And we've also seen the sea level rise at the Golden Gate Bridge six inches over the last 80 years. And then on the sphere itself, all the data sets include one on global warming. Well, Alyssa, thanks so much for speaking with us. I hope that everyone listening uh, will go down and check it out because I think they certainly should. Yeah, we're in Building B, and the fair runs through Labor Day, so come visit. Say hi. All right. Once again, Alyssa Lynn is the senior meteorologist and media spokesperson for the Science on a Sphere exhibit. We've got a few minutes left. Uh, there is one um, one uh, exhibit, as it were, uh, we need to talk about that's um, a lot less positive than what's over at the State Fair. I'm sorry to note a couple of items here regarding this fine institution, the University of California at Davis. A couple years back, we traveled over to University Airport to speak with Charles Lowe, who's then the, uh, the chief pilot over for the Cal Aggie Flying Farmers. Davis is, of course, the only University of California campus that has an adjoining airport. We feel very strongly that students here at the university should consider taking advantage of that opportunity. Yours truly was uh, renewing his, uh, his currency uh, a few days back, which meant uh, flying at night and, you know, coming down and you have to do uh, a full stop landing at the airport. It's a pretty routine thing for, for private pilots. As I was flying about, I noticed again that the lights coming off the athletic field at UC Davis, uh, I, I, think, I think they're lighting up Fresno. It is a vast surplus of light that appears to be illuminating the heavens. I understand that the city of Davis a few years back made a real, uh, real, a real commendable effort to do what it could to minimize light pollution. Well, it appears that uh, the athletic fields at the university in one fell swoop appear to be negating most of that. Can someone please explain to us uh, why it is a, some softball game being played during the months of summer on the U university uh, playing fields needs this kind of illumination? I'm not sure Barry Bonds is that well lit up out in left field at Pac Bell Park. We will continue to look into this matter. We were also somewhat disheartened to turn to the Sacramento Bee yesterday and note that... Uh, <laughs> The headline said, A Place in the Sun, referring to the new uh, field, which will be opening this weekend, uh, UC Davis's uh, new uh, athletic stadium. <sighs> Noted Jim Jenkins for the B, UC Davis will begin playing in brand new, beautiful, and broiling Aggie Stadium. It was noted that uh, the new stadium's $30 million-plus 
heat-retaining playing surface is likely to be 10 degrees hotter than the temperature off of it. You mean to tell me here at UC Davis we've created an athletic field with AstroTurf? Here at the site of the University Farm, where the University of California came out to grow things and investigate agriculture, we, rather than grow a grass field, have elected to put AstroTurf in the new stadium and then play on that surface. Jim Jenkins quoted uh, athletic coach Bob Biggs saying, uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to install lights in time for our first season. Hey, well, maybe they could just switch the light from the, from the intramural field and tilt it a little bit to the left. I'm pretty sure that'll provide sufficient illumination for most f- football games. But uh, it was noted that we do have to adjust, according to Coach Biggs. First of all, the stadium people plan to water down the field, which drains well, uh, to help cool it off several hours before we play. So this, I guess, is the equivalent of, like, hosing down your driveway on a 100-degree morning in the hopes this will keep things a little cooler around the house. Then they quote uh, the Aggie starting quarterback, senior Tim Plough, noting that, uh, boy, you can feel the heat from the field all the way through your shoes as soon as you step on it. I- I- am I the only one that thinks this is insane? We... Oui. Here at UC Davis, one of the premier institutions in the world for agriculture, are not growing a turf to play football games on. We're using an artificial surface. Has the world gone mad? Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but the idea of you know, getting tackled and being knocked to the ground on, on cushioned cement when the option remains to play on you know, a natural turf surface just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And yes, I realize I'm going off a bit on this topic, but uh, you know, it just uh, it just it just seems so crazy. I don't know what can I say. Will someone can someone please again write us at info at radioparallax.com and please explain the logic of using astroturf in the new stadium. Please. We want to know. And yes, we'd especially like to hear from you if you're an orthopedic surgeon associated with this institution. All right, and some other football-related news. Apparently, quarterback Michael Vick has gotten himself into a bit of trouble. And if you think we're going to spend any more time than that discussing these overpaid jackasses that play professional sports, well, you'd be wrong. Well, I wanted to close with some science items, but we're just about out of time on today's show. I guess let's just uh, close with this note from the miscellaneous file that uh, evidently over in the Nevada desert at Burning Man... The rather eclectic counterculture event that takes place annually. The large statue, which traditionally has been burned at the end of the festivities, was apparently ignited four days early by a performance artist from San Francisco. According to the Sacramento Bee, while many festival goers were awake watching Tuesday's lunar eclipse, Paul Addis set ablaze the 40-foot-tall wood and neon structure. He did this apparently in front of numerous witnesses and was subsequently arrested and booked into the Pershing County, Nevada jail on suspicion of arson, illegal possession of fireworks, destruction of property, and resisting a public officer. Said Burning Man spokeswoman Andy Grace, it was in plain sight of many people. 
everyone's looking at, the, at it this morning, this big black figure in the sky that wasn't supposed to burn, saying, now what do we do? Addis is described as an actor and writer who is active in the San Francisco art scene and recently portrayed Hunter S. Thompson in a play about the late journalist, a play that this correspondent was supposed to attend a few months ago and just didn't manage to make it. Now, Radio Parallax does have a correspondent who annually attends Burning Man. We hope on next week's program we'll get a first-hand report of what took place for you, the listening public. Our thanks on today's show to investigative journalist Lowell Bergman, as well as Science on a Sphere spokesperson and meteorologist Alyssa Lynn. Tune in next week for our talk with Ira Flato, host of NPR's Science Friday. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. The show was produced, as they all are, by Edward McMillan. See you next week at the same time on the same station. <laughs>